Yeah. And quick reminder, we had uh, we had Rob Bergen in here in the, on the show yesterday uh, talking about the app and all the different things you can do on the app. Oh, yeah. Do get the app. Do Please. listen to Faith FM on the app. It mm-hmm. is... It is the way of the future. This is how we're uh-huh. going to be listening to radio in the future. So get started with the future right now. Get Faith mm-hmm. FM Australia app and you will never have to worry about a dodgy signal again. It's just going to play crisp and clear uh-huh. all the time. Okay, so text messages. Let's go there. Australia is not doing anything about religious persecution in China because religious freedom in Australia is being eroded away. This is a very valid point Oof. that uh, somebody has texted through right there. Uh, let me see what else have we got here. Scrolling through. Portable power. What could, that could power a whole house has been invented for many years, but before it can go to market, it gets bought by the big power companies and gets shelved. I wonder why. Dollars, dollars, dollars Oof. emojis. Um, and this is very interesting. I, I, I love, you know, all this alternative technology that sort of floats mm-hmm. around and uh, and then sort of disappears again. I used to love experimenting with, you know, all kinds of uh, stuff on, you know, on, on my car back in the day to make it run, you know, on less fuel. Oh, some, speak- of, some of those experiments were successful. Some of them were not. <laughs> and pretty much all of them were dangerous. Oh, okay. Yes. So not not a permanent solution. It's in its prototype phase at the moment. All these. Yeah, it solutions. was one of those things that I did back in the day when I was less worried about blowing myself up. <laughs> Classic. Well, speaking of that, just if I can quickly comment, I remember in 2010, Honda came out with the car that ran. It was an electric engine that ran on hydrogen. Yes. And it was like the most revolutionary thing ever. I guess. It, it was like, this is the car of the future. It runs on hydrogen, you know, which this is the single most naturally uh, abundant, Common. naturally occurring element in the world. This will solve all our problems. And then it's like, oh, okay, you know, 11 years later, there's no hydrogen cars driving around. I wonder what happened to those. Maybe, maybe yeah, well, don't even get me started. But, <laughs> you know. Uh, some of the things I experimented with back in the day, as I say, they were just bombs. Yeah. <laughs> they were just like waiting for something to go off. <laughs> uh, hydrogen's gone off once or twice before Ooh, too. So. Yeah, yikes. Anyway, uh, religious freedom, there's a difference between talking about it and actually doing it, Ooh, doing something mm. about it. Worldwide, it's actually being lost uh, throughout the world a massive amount and replaced with socialism, um, LGBT laws, are against religious freedom in a big way. Who are we kidding? Now, this is a valid point, and uh, it states the truth, and I understand that at the same time when something positive is said about religious Mm. liberty and when you've got a Mm. 2,300-page report that is positive towards religious liberty, we need to speak up and we need to give that our support. Yeah. Uh, And we need to let people know that, you know, we, we absolutely support that. So, yes. Okay, The Promise Creepers, great organization. But alas, the long arm of sick laws has got them too. Who will be next? This world is not a safe place for moral human beings. I have a feeling that the pendulum has moved to such an extent that the religious uh, right will return with a vengeance and will wipe out the left, which will end up with religious laws. Oof. Ooh, this, is very, this is very speculation right here. It is. Uh, it's, but it's not outside it's not, of the yeah. realms of possibility. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, religious laws are to bring back righteousness by legislation. I'm so very glad that God is in charge. Mm. We may not see it, but he does, or he is yeah, seeing wow. it, and he does see it. Mm. And yeah, I, I think there's 
you know, you look at the way the pendulum is swinging, it's definitely swinging to extremes and polarizations we have never seen before. Mm. And while you've got the left that typically attacks religious liberty, you've got the right that typically creates a union of church and state, and both of those things together create a lethal cocktail for religious persecution, which yeah. the Bible speaks about in Revelation 13 at the end of time. Mm. And so, it, yeah, it kind of doesn't matter. You see the pendulum start to swing left, right, left, right, and the further it swings, doesn't matter which way, the closer we get to, you know, uh, enforced religion and religious legislation that takes away religious liberty altogether. It's an interesting thing when you think about religious liberty. There would be no cross yeah. without religious liberty. There would be no great controversy. Mm. None of that would exist. The reason that Jesus died on Calvary is because he wants to give us the option. Yeah, the choice. The choice. Mm. The power to be able to choose. The reason that the great controversy continues as long as it has is because God refuses to take away the power of choice. Mm. Religious liberty is the foundation of the great controversy between Christ and Satan, and it is the foundation of why Jesus died on the cross. Mm. That's big. Yeah. That is big. You don't get anything bigger than that. Okay, where are we going to? Bible study time? Yeah, I guess so. Let's go there, Exodus chapter 19. Yep. Exodus 19, we're going to start in verse 1 and 2. We're going, to look at, we're going to look at a bunch of verses this morning, and we're going to look at a progression. So we're going to see how the story progresses. Uh, because it's a very specific 19. way that uh, this whole passage progresses, and it's kind of like uh, climbing a mountain, mm-hmm. and we're going to get higher and higher and higher and higher until we reach the peak. Ooh, okay. Okay, so Sounds Exodus good. chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrive in the wilderness of Sinai. After uh, breaking, hold on. After breaking camp at Rephidim, man, that that's strange. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Okay, so the first stage of climbing this mountain is they delivered out of Egypt. Yeah. They're delivered out of Egypt and they go to the place where they're going to meet with God, Sinai. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's our first stage. That's our first, uh, uh, you know, you're starting to, starting to climb the mountain now and we want to see where this journey actually is going to take mm. us. Where is, where is God taking them and what is this going to be all about? So let's now go to verse 3 to 6. The Bible continues on. It says, Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it uh, to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know I have carried you on eagles' wings. Uh, and if you obey me and keep my covenant, that I, you will be a special treasure among all peoples. Okay, so here's our next little section going up the mountain where we find that, okay, they're delivered, they're taken to Mount Sinai, and now a covenant is proposed. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Let's keep climbing our mountain. Um, and there's there's a, a literal mountain as a part of this story, uh, but that's you know it's kind of just part of the story. We're we're, we're climbing this spiritual mountain, so we mm-hmm. begin by coming out of Egypt. We begin with deliverance, and mm. then God proposes a covenant. Yes, verse seven and eight. 
The Bible continues on and says, So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Okay, so here is um, the, the proposal of the covenant and the people's acceptance. Like, mm. yeah, um, God says, this is, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to um, uh, propose. And Moses brings, the, brings it back. Mm. And then, of course, you know, we have, uh, if we continue on from there, the people are always, they're all like, yeah, everything God has said, you know, we will do and we will obey. Now, from verses 9 through 25, you've got the preparations for formally receiving the covenant. Yes. That's a fairly long passage. We're not going to read all of that because we don't have enough time for it this morning. But as we go up this mountain, these are the steps that we take. Deliverance from Egypt. Mm. Then go to a place where you are removed from all of your distractions, where you can spend time with God, Mm. Sinai. Then God proposes a covenant. Then God tells this is what the covenant is. Then the people say, we will obey the covenant. So we're going up, 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 up the mountain. We're climbing up the mountain towards God. Yes. Essentially. Then the people get ready to, uh, to receive you know, the, the, the details, the uh, conditions, as it were, of the covenant. Mm. And so in Exodus, that's sort of the, the, the rest of Exodus chapter 19. But in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 17, what do we have? The Ten Commandments. We have the Ten Commandments, which are the... Um, the conditions of the covenant. Mm-hmm. And so then you are climbing higher and higher into the mountain. And if we go to Exodus chapter 20, let's... Oh, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of verses here. There's a big patch of it. But you have, you have a lot of the... Um, in fact, let me grab my Bible, and I'm going to find... <laughs> let's go to the top of the mountain. Let's just go to the, right to the top. Mm-hmm. Exodus chapter 24, I think, is where we're going. Going to there's probably too many verses here because our Bible study is like read these chapters. <laughs> uh, read for us uh, Exodus twenty four verse seven and eight. The Bible says in Exodus twenty four verse seven and eight. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, "We will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey." Then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it over the people, declaring. Look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. Okay, so really what you've done, what you've come to here is the top of the mountain because right here you are, the, the covenant is being ratified, mm. it's being sealed. And then the next thing that God does is, okay, now that we've sealed the covenant, we've got that sorted, uh, let's build the temple, let's build the sanctuary, let's build the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And so in Exodus chapter 25, that's exactly what you've got uh, taking place. Why don't you read for us there? Uh, Exodus 25 um, and verse 8. Exodus 25 and verse 8, the Bible says, have the, people of Is- uh, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. Okay, wasn't God already living amongst them? Yeah. As the, a, the, the cloud was there. Yeah, cloud, the fire, was the there. fire. So why does he say, let them build the, me a tabernacle, a sanctuary, so that I can live there. Was there? Did God need? Uh, was God like, ah, oh, you know, I'm living on this mountain, and they're all down there living in tents, so they need to build me a tent. Mm. I need a roof over my head. Did God need a roof over his head? No, no. God lives in heaven. Yeah, it's <laughs> the ruler and creator of the universe. He For doesn't sure. need a roof over his head. Okay, so what was? Why does God say, 
Let them build me a sanctuary that I may live amongst them. Uh, where my mind goes, like, is that, you know, he's, he's on the mountain and we know that the people are actually scared to commune with him. Like, that they send Moses up there to do that. Yeah, like, you do that, not us. You do that, not you us. You mediate for us. When, you know, we have what's going on when they build a sanctuary is all of a sudden they're in close proximity to God, to his literal presence. But furthermore, uh, they see the work that God does. Um, and that is forgiving them of their sin. Like this is this is their purpose as a nation, as a people. Like this is what they've been called to, and finally they're living that experience with God being amongst them. Yes. Rather than just up on the mountain, rather than just talking to Moses, it's like, oh my God, He's in that tent, and He is forgiving us from our sins and changing the world. Like, and what you find is that when the tent, when the sanctuary is finished, God comes down off the mountain, and the cloud goes into the sanctuary. Mm. That's 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 significant because now God is living with his people. Yes. He's not living on the mountain anymore. He's not separate. He's right in the centre of the mm. camp. And there's a difference between those two. Mm. He's not standing back. He's not holding back in any way. Okay, what was stopping God from uh, just you know moving into the middle of the camp before that point? Uh, well, he was a giant cloud. <laughs> All right, the answer is found in Isaiah. Let's head over to Isaiah. Uh, chapter that would be pretty gnarly. It's just like beside the door of your tent. It's just you can just see like the like the rumbling of like the fire burning at night. Uh, Isaiah, which chapter? Fifty nine, verse one and two. All right, yeah, let's go. Isaiah fifty nine, verse one and two. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God, because your sins, because of your sins. He has turned away and will not listen anymore. Okay, so what was it? What is it that separates us from God? Sin, sin. Mm-hmm. And so, if these people were being separated from God, the reason that they were being separated from God was because of sin. Yes. Sin was separating them from God, and the sanctuary was all about getting rid of sin. So God says, "Okay, build a sanctuary. That way, we can get rid of sin. Mm. Once the sin is gone, I can live with you." Yeah. Wow. And so the sanctuary is all about getting rid of sin, showing how that God deals with the sin problem and God wanted to remove the sin from the nation so that he could live with them. Mm. Okay, so let's continue on here and um, we're going to look for a key word. We're going to go back to the wording of the covenant in Exodus 19 and there is a key word right here that's going to bring out a really important point in relationship to salvation and it's a small word. So we're going to read verses 5 and 6 again. Look for a small word. The Bible says, Now, if they will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Okay, so small word. You want to take a pick at one? Keep. Uh, smaller. Smaller than keep. Yes, uh, that's four-letter word, so let's go smaller. Let's go smaller. Uh, now? Uh, that's a three-letter word. Uh-huh. Go smaller. Um, if? If. Yeah, okay. If. If. Okay, you're not going to get much smaller than that. There's, it, there's you know, A uh, and I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is about it. Yeah. Not much else. If is a really small word. But the word if, does that change the nature of the covenant in any significant way. Yeah, it all of a, it makes it conditional. That's right. Mm. It radically changes it. 
I mean, this is just not this is not just a small change. It completely the word if completely changes mm. the covenant. And so, um, what does that tell us about the nature of salvation and the nature of God's covenant with us? That it's based on choice and condition. Yes, mm. which is great. Oh, that's so epic! Like. Oh, so I I don't want I don't want to cut you off while because I'm just like let's just let's just keep steaming ahead. Go go. Oh no, I was just gonna say like that's yeah. As we mentioned before, like the beauty of the covenant is the fact that um we get to choose whether to be a part of it or not. I don't think it would be unjust for God to make an unconditional covenant. He owns the world, uh, but like. God really because re- he is sovereign. God can do whatever he yeah, wants. Yeah, like he can, he can, and he's and he's in within his moral liberty to do so. But thankfully, like God's moral, li- I would say liberty, but I wouldn't necessarily say mor- I would I would argue with moral liberty. I would say liberty. No, but this is the thing: is that God's standard of morality is based on the fact that he's love. Yes, like he is love. That's right, and it, and so. What we see there is that, like, God doesn't set up his kingdom, you know, and his morality based on him being in charge, even though he has the right to, and he is yes, sovereign. But he is, rather, he, he, like, he goes the most roundabout way to do so, giving us the choice whether we want to be a part of it. But what that ultimately reveals to us is that God values our love and our relationship with him far more than any purpose that he could achieve. In fact, it has become his sole purpose to have a relationship with us. And that's what we see in the plan of salvation, like, and getting rid of sin and removing that barrier between us and God is that he just wants to be with us. Okay, so here's an interesting thought, and the Bible study actually brings this out. We're going to talk about it in uh, just a moment. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Wow. Yes, so Bruce has uh, texted in or called in, I think it was, um, to, with a with an object lesson based around the word if, mm. so the word if has two letters in it, and uh, for Bruce these two letters are a, are a reminder of two things. First of all, uh, the letter I, and that's a reminder of God because God is the I am, mm. the self existent one, ruler and creator, sovereign of the universe. So I reminds us of I am. F, F is a reminder of faithful. So you've mm. got I am. God, uh-huh. as in God is the I am, who is faithful. Yeah, so wow. It's great to have these little words that you know pop up from time to time and they can be an object lesson and they can remind you as you just sort of skim past them that, well, God is faithful. Mm. And particularly in the relationship to this particular verse because this is about the covenant. Mm. And with the covenant we find that God is faithful in yes. relationship to his covenant. Okay, so that was, uh, and if you've got some thoughts on this, uh, we would love to hear your thoughts as well. Uh, the question that we're sort of looking at is, okay, we looked at this passage here, the covenant defined in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. And the question is, how do you understand what the Lord is saying in the context of salvation by faith? Mm. Okay, so doesn't if take away salvation by faith and salvation by grace? Doesn't doesn't the word if do away with that? Well, you you can see things that way. I would say, yeah, on a surface reading, and many, un- I would say, unfortunately, many Christians have come to that conclusion on a surface reading of this passage, being like, oh, the, this is the old covenant, and look, it's based on works, and it's based on what you do, not based on what God does. Okay, that's fair enough. But have you read the new covenant? Mm. 
Because, you know, does the new covenant do away with works or the law of God? The law of God and works are central and foundational to the new covenant. Oh, come on, let's just go to Hebrews. Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews. Let's just go there. Let's just just get it done. (laughs) Just go there. Read it for us. Read what the Bible says. All right. um, Because people are always like, oh, we're under the new covenant. And, And people have never actually read what the new covenant is. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Before you go so on about the new covenant... Maybe you should actually read what the new covenant is because you say, well, what is the new covenant? They're going to say, grace. Mm-hmm. Well, there's only one place in the Bible that the new covenant is defined. Yes. And let's I, read it. I love, I love this so much because it's such a qualifying statement. Yes. It, it says, like, it opens with the words, but this is the new covenant. Like, but this is, like, this is defining in its entirety. You know, this isn't an object lesson. This isn't a parable. No, but this is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put the laws in their minds and I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Okay, so when we when we look at the covenant here, does the new covenant do away with the law of God? No. The, the law of God is foundational to the new covenant. Yes. It's just like all about the law of God. <laughs> Mm. And answers- the old covenant is all about the law of God. The new covenant is all about the law of God. They're both all about mm. the law of God. Mm. So what's the difference? The difference is the location. Yes. One's written on stone, one's written in your heart. Mm. And uh, the new covenant, of course, predates the old covenant because it's the everlasting covenant, mm. uh, which raises an interesting question. Why do we call it the new covenant when it predates the old covenant? Yeah, wow. I love here too as well. Like it closes off with the, I will be their God and they will be my people. We saw before as we we're reading the old covenant, this is what God has been trying to achieve yes. the whole time. Yeah. And it goes on, you know, they won't say to his, you know, to his neighbor, you know, know the Lord because all shall know me. Mm. It's all about a relationship. It's all about knowing God. Yes. That's the new covenant right there. Wow. Mm. And so when you compare the two right here, one's written on stone, one's written on our heart, the law of God doesn't change in either covenant. Mm. There's no difference between the two. It's just a location, and that location is an illustration for us. Okay, but I want to come back to this question of the new covenant which predates the old covenant. Yes. And how does that actually work? And so to understand the answer to that question, you have to understand the way the well, the Middle Eastern mind works and thinks. Mm. And I know I've given this illustration before, but I'll give it again. Uh, about a year ago, <laughs> Shell and I bought a house. Yes. Except we didn't. Mm-hmm. The bank bought a house. And in 20 or 30 years' time, then we will buy a house. But in Western society, we say that we bought a house when we went and got the loan and bought the place. Uh, in other societies, they would never say that until they'd made the last payment, until it was finished and completed and confirmed and sealed and done. Mm. So when was the old covenant ratified? Uh, Like finished? Sealed. Sealed. Sealed with the blood of a bull. Yeah. Uh, Exodus 24. We read it a little yeah, bit earlier. Yeah, they sprinkled the, the blood on the, the blood bull. of a bull. That's right. Mm. So that was at Mount Sinai. When was the new covenant sealed? At the death of Christ. At the death of Christ. Mm. And that's where they're dated from, and that's why... They are dated from two different places, not because of their origin, because of when they were sealed and Mm. ratified. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. 
positively different. So, wow, that means we have to move on to question of the day. Okay, the question of the day today is: Why does God ordain our suffering? Oh, why does God ordain? Or how? Or or does God? Does God? Because the the question of does God ordain our suffering, I was going to say yes. Oh, okay. Does God ordain our suffering? No. What? Huh? No. Okay. Okay, so both of these answers are correct in a number of different ways. So first of all, why does, or in, in what way does God ordain or support our suffering? And there's a really great passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because we find here that Paul was afflicted with a disability. We don't know what it was. And he says here, he says, Lest I should be exalted, this is verse uh, 7, above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this time, for this thing I asked God three times that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my weakness, in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so, yes, there are times when God allows suffering to come our way because that is going to be what is best for us in our walk with God. And I've got, you know, several friends who suffer just terribly with terrible, you know, disabilities and so forth. And they universally tell me that. Without that suffering, they would not be walking with God. Mm. And so there is an element. You know, it reminds me of a story, and I'll illustrate this with the story. There was a man who climbed a tower one time, wanted to see the view. He was a wealthy man. He got to the top of the tower, and he was enjoying the view when the wooden staircase, which was very, very old because it was a very, very old tower, that he had climbed, crumbled beneath him, and now there was no way to get down from the tower. And so, you know, he called out to the people on the street below to help him. But he was the tower was too high, so they couldn't hear what he was saying. And so uh, because they couldn't hear what he's saying, he's like, well, how will I get their attention? And so he's like, I'm a wealthy person. That's no problem at all. He pulls out lots of gold coins out of his pocket and starts throwing them down under the street. And people are running around and picking up the gold coins, and they're all happy because they're picking up these gold coins. And he still doesn't have their attention. So he's like, well, that didn't work. So he pulled off a brick off the side of the tower, threw it down. It clonked some guy on the head, and he looked up. And sometimes that's a little bit like us. God needs to throw a brick at us sometimes <laughs> to get us to look up. Mm. Without that brick, we don't look up. So if we go over to Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter, and, you know, when we think about our children, this is really easy to understand. But Revelation chapter 3, let's see what the Bible says over here. Uh, in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Mm. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And so discipline is one of those things that often comes with pain. And so when trials and persecutions and pain and suffering comes our way, we should recognize that these are times that God is reminding us, you know, this world is not your home. Mm. This is not what I have in store for you. So often when life is going easy, we're like, yeah, I'm loving this world. This is great. You know, I I live here for, you know, quite happily. I don't need God in my life. And so sometimes God needs to wake us up. At the same time, my answer is also no, because pain and sin and suffering is not God's plan. 
And if you read in Revelation chapter 21, you find that pain and sin and suffering is something that will go away. It will be gone forever. It will never return because it was never part of God's plan and it will never come back again. God will eliminate it entirely. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.